So back in my early 20s, I used to write for an online music magazine called New Daz the News. I used to write album reviews, interviews, get to, I'd get into concerts sometimes for free. I didn't get any money out of it, but I got a whole lot of other cool things. I mean, I got to interview Ian Hunter. Ian Hunter is one of my songwriting idols, and I got to talk to him. How cool is that? But there was a downside. Yeah, I used to get a lot of CDs in the mail that I didn't ask for. Back then, record labels would just send you stuff just because they thought you might write about it. They'd come with their glossy photo and a fancy press release talking about how these guys are going to be the next big thing. You know what? A lot of it was terrible. I mean, it was god-awful. I have no idea how these guys got a record contract. So back then, I was living by myself in Washington. I'd go out a lot to the bars and get drunk and do all those kind of bachelor things, go listen to music. And one night, I was out with a friend of mine, and we ran into a college acquaintance named Kevin Atkins. Kevin was living in Hoboken, New Jersey at the time, and he was in a band called Ice Wagon Flu. He gave me a copy of one of their CDs called Trouble Has a Car. I'm pretty skeptical about new CDs and, and things I hadn't heard before because I was getting so much crap in the mail. So I didn't know what to think when I put this one on. And you know what? It was pretty good. It wasn't great. You could tell these guys were still growing. There was, there was some real talent there. You could hear it. So I wrote up a little blurb about it. I put it in one of my columns for New Disney News, and Kevin really appreciated it. In fact, he started sending me some of their new CDs. Every now and then, I'd find a new EP in the mail, and it got better and better. These guys were clearly growing. They were beginning to really embrace songwriting, and it showed in every one of their subsequent releases. So a few years later, Kevin was telling me that his band was coming in town to play the Washington, D.C. Shamrock Fest. This is one of the biggest Irish festivals in the area. And I'm not a big festival guy. I hate paying all that money to see maybe one or two bands that you're going to like, but you got to sit through 10 or 12 of them that probably stink. But Kevin convinced me. We got there right when his band started. These guys are really good. You could tell they were having a lot of fun out there. They were playing a bunch of different songs too. And it wasn't just Irish rock. You could hear a lot of different influences that was coming through. A few months later, Kevin sent me another CD called Take One. I put it in one day and man, I was just blown away. Again, it wasn't the greatest thing I'd ever heard, but it was just clearly a step ahead. You could hear the talent because they were playing such a different range of music. It wasn't just Irish rock, like I said. You could hear George Thorogood. You could hear Faith No More. You could hear the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And in the middle of that CD was a song called Wild Irish. This song just stood out to me because of the hook. There was something that grabbed you about it. The lyrics were different, too. It wasn't your typical Irish drinking song. There was something he's trying to say. He's talking about the Irish immigrants that came across to help build the Erie Canal. <laughs> Impossible feed my flock To build an artificial block But with shovel pick and pail We dig the Erie Just just grabbed me to it and it, like I said it wasn't the best thing I'd ever heard but you could tell there was something special here. About two years later Kevin sent me their latest CD called The Great American Something. I tell you what, I put this thing on and I was astounded. I don't want to overplay it, I don't want to oversell it, but it was just a step ahead. It was just some incredible production. The songwriting had really improved again, and these guys are such talented musicians. You just scratch your head, like, how come these guys can't get a record contract? The album had a reimagined version of Wild Irish on there. 
the production was better. They even added some effects. It just sounded like a completely different song. You know, so I'm listening to this great song and a great album. Like I said, it's not the best thing you'd ever heard, but I'm still, I'm still getting all these CDs in the mail, and so much of it was just awful. And I'm thinking, how come these guys can't get a contract? And they came really close. I mean, this is in New York in the mid-90s and early 2000s. If there's one Irish rock band in New York City that you want to be like, it's Black 47. These guys are pretty well known. They could sell out clubs in Washington and Boston and New York and Baltimore. They play Irish festivals in Illinois, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. They even had a minor hit in the mid-90s called Funky Kaylee. So for Kevin and the guys, got to actually open up for Black 47 a few times, and the guys in Black 47 actually helped open some doors. They got the band some gigs playing in some of New York's biggest Irish pubs, Connolly's, Rocky Sullivan's. If you wanted to be heard, if you wanted to be in the Irish rock scene in New York, those are the places you needed to be. But for whatever reason, it just didn't work out for Ice Whack and Flu. And it's kind of frustrating because you listen to a lot of the stuff on the radio, well, not anymore on the radio, but online, and you just think, man, these guys had talent, but they just couldn't get the break. And so, you know, what happens with bands? The guys get older, they move on, they have families, they move around, and eventually Ice Wagon Flu just sort of, they didn't break up per se, they just kind of moved on. Guys were still trying to figure their lives out and moved around a little bit. Kevin actually moved down to Alexandria, Virginia, which is near where I live. And we were both working in downtown Washington and kind of bumped into each other one day going to get lunch. We caught up for a bit, and every now and then we'd get lunch, grab a beer, and just kind of catch up. And I asked him about the flu, what was happening, and he just sort of told me that the guys were getting older. They couldn't practice as much as they used to. They were kind of scattered around the East Coast. And But he was telling me about a new project he was just starting called Franklin Gotham. So he reached out to a friend of his named Jared Nicolay. Jared was in a band called the Virginia Coalition. They were pretty well known in Virginia and Southeast he and Kevin started talking about doing a project together. Kevin had some songs he wanted to try out, and he was anxious to kind of get away from the Irish rock sound. So I asked him to send me some of his new material because I was curious, because I always liked the flu, and Kevin being a good guy, he would send me some CDs and MP3s of some new songs, and you know, I really got into it. You could hear the pop influence. You could hear R.E.M., and you could even hear David Bowie. What I really admired about it was the craftsmanship. He knew he wasn't going to make it big as a musician at this point. He was just having fun with it. But it was more than just having fun. He was taking it seriously. And he still does it. And so when I started this podcast, Kevin was one of the first guys I wanted to reach out to because I was just really curious. I really admired his, his ability to kind of stay true to the craft and to keep at it. I wanted to know what drives him. And I think you're going to enjoy our conversation. Hey, Kevin, what's going on? Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. This is Four Songs, our second episode. We're featuring Kevin Atkins of a couple of different bands. Uh, we're going to be talking about two in particular, Ice Wagon Flu and Franklin Gotham. Let's get a little bit of background about you and your music and your writing. How long have you been in bands and writing songs? I think since I was 16, which I'm 44 now, so <laughs> I'm not going to be able to do the quick math, but yeah. nearly 30 years, I guess, yeah, 28 years. And I was in a high school band called Small Fry. We We just had fun with it. It was like four guys that were just really good friends writing original stuff. And that's where I kind of fell in love with the songwriting process. I was always interested in music, but kind of a crap musician. That kind of enamored me, being a part of a band, being a part of something creative where it's very, really talented guys that I was in the band with. It kind of made me fall in love with music and songwriting. So when you were writing the songs, who are some of your influences? So yeah, the first band I saw was R.E.M. back in 1989 on the Green Tour at Hampton Coliseum. 
that was the first band I remember falling in love with. Like, I think I was in sixth grade and I heard like document or something. And I just went back through all the REM catalog and, and I would listen to those songs over and over again. And I'd put up REM posters and stuff. <laughs> Small Fry was definitely influenced by Green Day. And it was right around the time that, that we started listening like to the Pogues and stuff. Small Fry wasn't Irish rock at all. I, I Obviously, I got more into that later on and and toured around a bunch with Ice Wagon Flu and played tons of shows up in New York. Mm-hmm. But I was also big into all the early 90s uh, rock stuff. Some of my favorites were like Buffalo Tom and the Judy Bats, the Connells. Okay, yeah. Yeah, everything from that era. Sugar, Bob Mould, you know, Pixies, of course. Yeah, uh, everything that they were playing on um, HFS at the time. Yeah. 99.1. Right, right. (laughs) So when you're sitting down to write a song, I mean, obviously, as you get older, your perspectives change, but let's kind of go to the flu era. Um, What were you guys, who were you trying to reach and identify with back then? So it's interesting. So when I, after high school, I didn't really do much uh, musically in college, but when I finished college, I moved to Hoboken, New Jersey. And one of my good friends who was in Small Fry was in Weehawken and he was, he had just finished up Rutgers and we got the idea. We're like, let's start a band again. You know, we had so much fun with Small Fry. Let's start a band. We started teaching ourselves like some of the Irish traditional stuff, uh, listening to the Pogues and Black 47. We did two gigs at I was playing soccer for a pub called McMahon's Brownstone Hoboken and the guy Francis there was super supportive and we did two gigs like packed the place with friends we were absolutely terrible then we met this guy Martin Bristow through a mutual friend English guy from uh, Swindon huge like Andy Summers fan hugely influenced by XTC and that's when we started writing originals. I mean, we were just doing like covers and trads and having the ability to really write and shape music and create a sound with him just really made Ice Wagon Flu what it is. And, and, and then George and my friendship, uh, you know, we'd known each other for so long through high school and we had so much of the uh, similar influences and, and, and similar background that we were able to like come together and really start forming and writing, uh, writing our own stuff. Yeah. So it was, to me, it was fascinating listening to some of your early stuff, especially when uh, take one came out. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> everything was just so different on that album. It, Cause I mean, you mentioned the pubs and the Irish rock sound, but there's yeah. stuff on, on that album that runs the gamut. I mean, the Chili Peppers, I hear Faith No More, or the Murphys. Oh, yeah. George is a huge Faith No More fan. That's yeah. awesome that you that you heard that in there. Well, yeah. it, that was a thing. Like, I think that was at our, um, at our songwriting, like, climax, because we actually, we started, we were like, let's get serious about, like, writing our original stuff. So that meant we needed to rehearse, like, a couple times a week. Mm-hmm. And so we rented out a place in the, uh, well, a few different places in Hoboken, but we ended up at the Yardley Soap Building up in Weehawken, which is like an abandoned factory that was rented out individually by like art spaces. And there were sculptors in there and ceramics people. And we would just go up there and just play for hours and hours and just work these songs and write these songs together. And 
it was very much a five guy like all of us, you know, we'd start with one idea, but then everyone contributed it. And that's why I think like take one is so eclectic. And the, the best was that take one was recorded live in Grizzly Labs in Jersey City. Like once we got down the songs we wanted to record, we just all went into a room together and just played. It was wow. great. So we'll get to Wild Irish in a second, but I didn't want to ask, you guys were like, in addition to being in a band, I mean, you, you were working full-time, right? Yeah, everybody had full-time jobs. We kept talking about if, you know, there was enough interest, like, would we be able to, you know, quit our jobs or take time off to, to go tour? I think most of us were on board given the chance. And we did go open for Black 47 out at the Manhattan Irish Fest out in Illinois and things like that. We, we did a fair amount of traveling up and down the East Coast. At that time, you know, we were all living in Hoboken, but we'd play down in Baltimore and do the Annapolis Irish Fest and out the Celtic Fling in Pennsylvania. So we'll get to the music now. Uh, we'll start with Wild Irish. So you guys did this, I mentioned on take one, but you also have it on your, well, I guess it was your last full album. The, um, yeah. Great American something. So I guess I picked this song because when I heard it on take one, yeah, there are so many different styles of music. When I heard Wild Irish, I kind of had to go back and like, wait a minute, there's, there's something here. You know, there's, there's a sound, there's a message and, you know, there's no shortage of Irish immigration songs. Uh, but what yeah. was sort of your influence here for this one? Yeah, so this one, I had read a book called The Artificial River by Carol Sheriff. And it was just funny, I had picked it up, I think at like a yard sale. And it was all about the Erie Canal. I'm reading this book and so much, I mean, it's definitely about the socioeconomic early days of the United States and the Industrial Revolution. But I was moved by the stories and the firsthand accounts that Carol was able to capture about these Irish immigrants that came over and just labored and worked themselves to death to build the Erie Canal. I had an idea to kind of put myself in the mind of them and to kind of give them a voice. Yeah, that's how the song came about. It turns out she's a professor at William & Mary. And my brother was working at William & Mary at the time. He was also a professor there. And he gave me her email address and I sent her the song. And she now uses it in one of her classes as part of the syllabus. Oh, wow. <laughs> She asked me for the lyrics. She was just moved that her her book inspired a, a song. Yeah, well, let's play the first verse here. Impossible feed my foot to build an artificial brook, but we shovel, pick and pail. Canal. And from Longboard, Steve
So how long did it take you to put this one together? I'm not a very quick reader. I, you know, <laughs> you and I went to college together at Mary Washington, and I was always trying to stay up on top of everything that we were uh, assigned to read for all my classes because mm -hmm. I read slow. I think it's because I'm a very visual learner. It's like I can actually go back and, and picture the pages in my head like and kind of reference them. It took me a while to, to get through that book and it's very dense. So I was pondering, I, I think I got the idea for the song like midway through the book. I mean, I was definitely over a few weeks like just thinking about it and thinking about these characters and thinking about these people that built the Erie Canal. I think when I finally, the way I work is I have an idea, a concept, and then I just, I come, I, a melody line comes into my head and then I write the poetry around that. And that's how I think of it. Like it's, it's finding the, the right words that capture a visual or the right words that, that sound that sound that make a feeling come to life. It was, it's weird. Some songs, they just kind of come to you and the way you, you idealize them before they're a real thing is how they actually are manifest. And that's how this one was. It just kind of took flesh in the way that some of them change and take lots of turns and they don't always end up the way you, you uh, conceptualize them. But this one just kind of, it, it fell right into place. It it almost felt like it existed already in time. It was just like we discovered it, it bestowed um, upon you. Yeah, that's it's really interesting. So kind of going to the end of the song, uh, I wanted to kind of get back to the, the lyric itself, kind of going to the, the Irish history of coming to America. And then, you know, we, a lot of them went to go fight this war or, in this case, they go to had to go to build the Erie Canal. It seems like the way it ends, that the last verse here, which I'm going to queue up in a second, just kind of gets into the some of the struggles that they dealt with coming straight from the boat to the the fields. So here we go. Straight off the boat into the ditch, with whiskey eyes on nightly edge. Despite the Yankee prejudice. So that line, despite the Yankee prejudice, we tunnel through the wilderness. I think that's one of the lines. I mean, Yankee prejudice was a line from Carol Sheriff. I can't take credit for that. That's in the book. That really struck me as because Irish culture is so ingrained in America now, you don't think about the prejudices that, that they suffered or, or, or had to endure coming over as immigrants. You've obviously seen the no Irish need apply signs and, and things like that. And, and the political cartoons where the Irish are depicted in, you know, very stereotypical, like bad ways. And I, you know, I always reference the paddy wagon. <laughs> it's, it's because, you know, people thought they were just drunk kind of low lives and, 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 they ended up, you know, I think they definitely had a rough go of it in the beginning, just like every culture or, uh, or race that came to America, obviously 
trying to better their lives and better themselves. Let's let's move into the now, which we've been working on lately. Can you tell us a little bit about Franklin Gotham and your how you guys come together, came together a little bit about the band and who does what? One of the things when I moved down to this area, um, I, it was 2008 that we moved down here. We were obviously playing a lot as the flu back then, and it made it very easy to do shows and get gigs down in this area, me being here, and the guys would come down and stay at the house. I knew that with everybody kind of having kids and, and starting to move out of Hoboken, that Ice Wagon Flu was going to you know, diminish or not be able to get together, obviously, for weekly rehearsals like we were doing. But I started thinking about you know, how I could still write without having access to George and Martin. And I really had a desire to kind of focus on my own stuff. And so I reached out to a friend of mine who I'd known since those high school days of Small Fry, Jarrett uh, Nicolay, who he played bass for Virginia Coalition and toured around for a bunch of years. And they were really quite successful with it. We had talked about through the years, we never played together, but I was like, Jared, I have an idea. I'd love to you know, get back to writing and writing songs with you. And he was all on board and we roped in Christopher Spike from Ice Wagon Flu. And he's always been instrumental to me and, and bouncing ideas off of. I mean, he knows that it's my project. So he brings ideas and, and support to my creative endeavor. So we just started working together. He'd come over to the house and with an acoustic guitar and we would just, we would just get to work. And I think that's really why, you know, we wanted to call it kind of like a dual name thing, Franklin Gotham. We, we kid around that like one of us is Franklin and one of us Gotham. Yeah, it's, it's really a poetic duet. Well, so we'll, we're gonna talk about three of your songs. The first one is Heart in a Box. And the first thing you notice when, with this one, at least compared to the flu is it's a completely different type of music. It's, this is really straight up pop, correct? Yeah, that's the other thing. When I started working with Jared with Franklin Gotham, I, I kind of wanted to reinvent my songwriting. I, didn't, I wanted to get away from the Irish rock stuff. So Heart in a Box. So to me, this seems to be about kind of the innocent love or that first love when, you know, it's almost kind of true childlike love. Yeah, this is definitely about trying to capture a moment in time and capture a special time. It's really kind of, like you said, the innocence of not being able to hold on to something that's very dear and special and knowing that it's eventually fleeting, but still wanting to hold on to it as best as you can, mm-hmm. knowing that, you know, people have to grow up and change and, and evolve, but wishing that you could keep those moments in a treasure chest. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, well, let's play the chorus real quick because I think that gets to that point right away. 
Gonna put your love in a jar Gonna hold your hand in the car Gonna put your heart in a box And know it's safely unlocked For no one else but me You're under lock and key There is no mystery Cause you belong to me You belong to me Yeah, I think that's pretty clearly stated there in the chorus. <laughs> what was jumping about this one in particular was just the craftsmanship, like in the, the backing vocals and just, you can just tell you put a lot of care into this when you guys are putting down on the final mix. Jared has become such a great producer over the years. Like he holds himself to a very high standard of sound quality and, and production. He's just a great engineer and, and Spike is the same way. He, he, um, he actually records the drums down in Nashville. So we'll send him over tracks with like without the, the beats. Like we'll we'll put down tracks to a beat, and we'll just tell him the beats per minute. Send it down to him with the the fake drums stripped out, and he's got his own studio down in Nashville, and he'll put down the drum tracks and send them back to us, and then we'll mix them in. So let's move on. Next up will be still beating hard, and if I didn't intend to pick heart songs, but it was kind of how it worked out. <laughs> But it seems like a fifth. If Heart in a Box was a kind of about innocent kind of first love, this one's a bit more hardened and dated. Is, is that about right? So it definitely is about feeling emotionally and drained and I guess religiously confused. And yeah, just my experiences as, as an adult with coming to terms with my own like Catholicism and yeah. <laughs> As it kind of hits you right from the start, so I'm going to play this first verse here. And I knew from the start, start, I could no longer take it. There's still beating hard, hard. You had the power to break it, Lord. I gave what I got, got stolen from secret locations down deep. In the dark, dark, brought to the light of salvation. It's always struck me that, you know, whatever you believe in, I definitely believe in a higher power. I was brought up Catholic, obviously, and so there's that sense of the, the Trinity of, uh, of the Catholic religion. But also, you know, I spent a lot of time studying religion and I, I double majored at Mary Washington in art and, and religion and theology. So I think this, this is one of the more personal songs where I just feel like whatever you put in, God or whatever that higher power is, is able to get, get so much more out of it with little effort that us humans can, can give to either being good or being positive or or helping others, I think those little acts become so much more when when a deity or whatever can can create uh, something uh, transcendent out of it. Yeah, because you can you definitely hear it in the chorus too. You say to give As your writing 
not so much your style, but your process for writing. Has it, how much has that changed over the years? I think the the steps are still the same, but what I want to communicate is different. I I made a very conscious decision with Franklin Gotham and working with Jared that I just I wanted the songs to feel sincere and be very sincere to have a truthfulness to them, even when I'm conceptualizing a song, I wanna make sure that I'm being honest with myself and my storytelling. So when I'm telling a story through a song or conveying an emotion or a feeling or trying to capture a moment, I just wanna make sure that it's very honest. Yeah, I think uh, I wanna kinda end with the song, just sort of how it fades out, because to me, it's actually a pretty hopeful song in that it's a still beating heart. No longer lost, lost, but still somehow forsaken. I paid all the cost, cost, this beating heart is still breaking. So what's kind of going on there at the end? I think it's, it's an internal struggle that I'm talking about feeling almost overdrawn. Like I've given all the good or all the, the energy that I have left and feel like God still wants more. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. And, and being able to still bring good things out of struggles. You know, I, that's one of the things that I've come to terms with is as an adult, looking back at things that I thought were, difficult times but being able to see that a lot of positivity came from them even though they might have seemed like hardships to deal with in the present but looking back there was a lot of good that came from them the last song we're going to talk about today is somehow this is from one of your recent your most recent ep called underbellies it came out this year it's interesting you talk about kind of just being exhausted and I maybe read, I'm reading too much into the, the lyrics of somehow, but I think that kind of comes across and this kind of sounds like a bit of an angry song. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So this song was, it's a bit different than the others. I wrote this in the, um, from the perspective of my wife <laughs> about hmm. me. Hmm. <laughs> interesting. It's similar in a way to wild Irish where like giving those people a voice. I think, this is just a lot of what I think my wife would want to say <laughs> sometimes <laughs> to me, but is too nice to. So yeah, that it's been two days since I've been up. Your friends are over and won't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, specifically the guys in in ice wagon flu. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I hadn't thought of that kind of writing from that different perspective. So, what does she think of the song? She thinks I'm being over overcritical, <laughs> <laughs> or at least she thinks that she's like I. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> But at least in my head, you know, sometimes I feel that way. Like, um, these are things that she'd like to express about me. 
But that's that's one of the things that always was so intriguing to me about like some of my favorite songwriters, like Shane McGowan, or I know on your first podcast uh, episode you talked um, about Steve Earle. Mm-hmm. Those great songwriters are able to write from a perspective not their own, and great authors do that as well. Just being able to tell a story from a very very different perspective and really get in the mind and what it feels like to be someone else. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I was trying to do here. I like the second verse. One of my favorite books is a, the Stephen Hawking book, A Brief History of Time. Mm-hmm. Diana always gets mad when I reread it because she's <laughs> like, you start getting like too philosophical and, and mm-hmm. you know, start really contemplating the, the origins of the, the universe. But stars in particular, I was just thinking about, you know, that idea of starstruck lovers, like astrologically and things come together in a certain way without us knowing and, and stars aligning and, and people finding each other across the earth and falling in love, I, I think is just a, an amazing thing that happens and we can witness it and really point to it. But then also, you know, sometimes those stars aren't meant to be together, <laughs> you know, and that intrigued me too. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen those pictures from space and the like stars colliding and, and just the, amount of cosmic material that is shed throughout mm. this vacuum of, of space just intrigued me and it made me mm. just think about relationships and, and how people fall in love and interact and eventually some of them fall apart. So we're going to wrap up here, but I was kind of curious that you're you talking about the different influences and kind of what spurs some, a thought in your mind. Is that how you come up with a song idea? You were just they kind of just hit you like, boom, this is what I'm going to, you know, or do you try to like sit down and say, I want to write about this. And I guess with Wild Irish, that's what you wanted to do there. But there's, well, sometimes we just kind of wake up in the middle of the night, like, oh, oh my God, you know, is that? Yeah, totally. That like does that? happen. Somehow hit me that way. I think I was driving to work and it just came into my head. I don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I just, I didn't even think about writing something. And sometimes I feel like when I'll, I'll go through, you know, a month or two without having any ideas, I get like confused. I'm like, why am I not thinking <laughs> anything? But I think it's just just staying open to it. Just reminding yourself that, you know, these these things that are these, these uh, poetic pieces or, you know, musical compositions they're they're little gifts that you just kind of receive and you just have to be open to receiving them so if people want to find out more about you and franklin gotham where where can they do that so yeah we're on Bandcamp. that's where all the songs are uh we're also on soundcloud all the the music can be purchased on google play amazon itunes spotify well that wraps it up. Thank you, Gavin, for taking some time to chat. And it's been a really fascinating conversation. I really appreciate you spending the time with me. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in. This was the second episode of Four Songs, and we'll be back soon.